You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Hello and welcome Colts fans to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me is Matt Adams. And Matt, it is a cold, rainy, dreary day in Indianapolis. And that pretty accurately describes my soul today (laughs) after the Colts you know, just kind of give away uh, another game here. How are you doing? Uh, very much fits the mood of how I feel about this Colts team right now, man. It's uh, just another, I mean, it's, it feels like week to week to week now, just a crushing loss. And and the thing about it that gets me, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but if they would just have won some of these games earlier in the year, if they could just pull out a win here and there, like they would still be in this thing, but they just refused to to do it. So now they're six and seven. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of last year where the team would, you know, they went on the winning stretch down the end there to make the playoffs and just kept finding a way to win. Well, now they just keep finding ways to lose. The Colts are now six and seven after a 38 to 35 loss in Tampa Bay to the Buccaneers. Indianapolis has now lost three straight games in five of their last six after a very promising five and two start to the season. But first, let's get to some news here. Um, The most recent of which is Adam Vinatieri has been placed on injured reserve. He will have surgery on his left knee to repair his meniscus and to fix up some patellar issues. Now, um, a lot of people kind of assume this is, you know, automatically the end of Adam Vinatieri. This kind of, he was having his worst year of his career. He's going to be 47 in December, but Vinatieri says... You know, slow down there. He said, quote, they told me it's not going to heal on its own, that I have to get it fixed. They told me if you never want to play ball again, you just ride off into the sunset and you can fix it next year in two years, five years, whenever it's bothering you. So opting for surgery, especially this quickly, is a clear sign that Vinatieri's not quite ready to say he's done yet. And he offered some a little more on that. He said, hopefully we've got another chapter left. We'll cross that road when we get there. I'm not going to say I'm done. I'm not going to say I'm not. We'll see. So it kind of seems like Adam Vinatieri, who will be an unrestricted free agent after the season, Things are kind of still up in the air for him. He is the NFL's all-time leading scorer. Um, His 14 seasons with the Indianapolis Colts, I I was kind of surprised with this second most of any Colt ever behind only Johnny Unitas, uh, who had 17. So he's been with the team for a long time. Um, you know, everyone knows this is the worst season of his career. He's missed a career high 14 kicks, eight field goals, six PATs. His 68% conversion rate is the lowest of his 24 year career. You know, he's leaving the door open on if he's going to return to the NFL or not. But Matt, do you think we've seen the last of Adam Vinatieri as a Colt? I think we've probably seen the last of him as a Colt. We've had this sort of on-again, off-again thing after every season, whether or not he was going to come back and play for the team, if they're going to sign him you know, to a one-year deal or whatever and bring him back. And um, it was really, uh, maybe he's going to hang it up after last year, but he decided to come back. Um, but I don't know that it's, depending upon the health of the knee and, and what happens with this surgery that he has, uh, it may not be the last that we've seen of him in, in the NFL. And I say that mostly because, like, He's probably the most competitive person that there is out there. And for somebody who's had such a great legacy in the NFL, known as just being this great clutch kicker, for his last kick to be one that got returned for a touchdown, that has not got to be the way he wants to go out. So I, I think if he is able 
to go and feels like he's healthy, I think he might try to come back and see if he can make one more go round, uh, finish off any of those little records that maybe he, he hasn't gotten yet, although he owns pretty much everything there is, and and just you know kind of cement it so that it's not such a bad taste in him. I mean, because if you had such a bad season, you missed 14 kicks, I just I would know that it would be hard to walk away from the game knowing that you gave it your... I know that he gave it his best and everything, but just knowing the performance and what people are saying and, and in your mind about what you're saying about your own performance, I think he's going to come back. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that being a real possibility. And, you know, it's been well-documented, not only his struggles, but the struggles of kickers across the league. Um, if he comes back and he's healthy and he's looking good in workouts, there's definitely a team that'll give him a try, give him a run here for one more year or two, even if it's not with Indianapolis. Um, as to who Indianapolis's kicker could be going onward and into the future, Chase McLaughlin, who kicked uh, for the Colts in his first game with the Horseshoe Sunday, he had a, I would say, mixed results. Um, overall, it was a pretty good day. He made field goals of 50 yard and 19 yards, made all three of his P- PATs, but he missed a crucial 47-yard field goal in the fourth quarter. Um, that would have put the game at, you know, eventually 38-38, to 38, and the Colts could have been trying for a game-winning drive at the end instead of a game-tying drive. Right, or, or, we may be, or, or we may be talking about an overtime win or an overtime loss. You know, yeah, you'd have exactly. another—the the game extended a bit. Um or we could be, you know, they, they could have, you just don't know how that last possession would have played out if, if they were tied. Um, but yeah, then they wouldn't have had to get down the field to, to get a tie at the end. So, you know, I, I guess it just goes, I, I guess the kicking game's just cursed this year when you're talking about place kicking and field goals. Because uh, if Adam Vinatieri can't consistently hit field goals for you, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I know a lot of that does get chalked up to a health issue. Um and sometimes distance was not a problem for Vinatieri. It was all accuracy this year, like fifty yarder that he, um, att- fifty five yarder he attempted last week. Um, it wasn't that far off. Like it had the distance, it just didn't have the the accuracy to get in there. So um, it just doesn't feel good. They talked a lot about the kicking operation, all that stuff this year, and then you you see him miss a forty seven yard field goal, which it's not a gimme, but most NFL kickers should hit that in that situation. And it was like the most inconvenient time for you to have that little hiccup in your first game with the Colts. It really was. To be fair, I mean, it, it was as close as it gets. It doinked off the upright, yep. um, but that's still one that you know, as a guy who's really this is a tryout for him. This is an audition. If he performs well and Still, over the next three games, mm-hmm. he has a chance to perform well and maybe be with the team next year, if not the Colts, some other team. Um, but I just think, uh, you know, if the Colts, their playoff chances at this point are very slim. Oh, it's it's bad. But, but we'll go over that, won't we? The the yeah, Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that. But there's still a lot of value in these final three games in terms of roster evaluation, in terms of coaching evaluation. I mean, these a lot of fans at this point are like, all right, tank, get a better draft pick. That's not how the coaches or players are going to see it. They're still playing for their jobs. These are still their careers. And, you know, what happens over these last three games is going to make a difference for the Colts going into the offseason. Um, 
a move the Colts made ahead of the offseason was Jack Doyle. They signed him to a three-year contract extension. He was set to be a free agent at the end of the season. Um, him and Eric Ebron as well. So, you know, locking up one of the two tight ends was really a big move for the Colts. And I think they chose the right guy here. Uh, the contract is worth $21 million in new money. Doyle can earn an additional $7.8 million through incentives. Uh, the deal makes Jack Doyle the NFL's 12th highest paid tight end in the league, which sounds about right. Jack Doyle. Oh, absolutely. Right right in there. Yeah, you know? not really an elite guy, but above average type yes, tight end. absolutely. So. That's, that's almost perfect for uh, for Jack Doyle. Just kind of your everyman, workman-like guy, but he's just a little bit better than like your average tight end. Exactly. Great way to sum it up there. Uh the Cathedral High School product will turn 30 years old in May. He joined the Colts in September of 2017 um, after being claimed off of waivers from the Titans. Um, kind of a similar fate to Zach Pascal there. So, what, 2013? 2013. 2013. I said 2014. You said 2017. I'm like, he's oh, oh, been around a little bit longer than I'm that. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, my eyes might have been looking down to 2017 yeah, when he made the yep, Pro Bowl. That's exactly what happened. Um, his career year with 80 catches. His 200. 36 catches, ranked fifth in team history among tight ends. I thought that was an interesting that is. stat. The Colts They've have had, had some good ones. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Know. Dallas Clark, Mackey. Ken Dilger. Um, yeah, <laughs> Dilger, uh, Pollard. You could go on. Um, he remains a rock-solid blocker in the run game and a reliable receiver. He's not going to outrun anybody, but if the ball hits his hands, there's a darn good chance he's going to catch it. He's a reliable route runner and... He's an asset in the running game. He really is. So I, I like this deal for the Colts, and it really, you know, tight end is no longer a area of concern for them going into the offseason. Maybe if they add another speed tight end, a, you know, Eric Ebron type. Yeah, I, um, I would expect that, expect that they would look for kind of one of those flex tight ends, uh, yeah. kind of in that Ebron mold, because I do think that uh, Frank Reich likes that kind of the flexibility that that gives you in your offensive game plan. Absolutely. But it, it prevents the Colts going into the offseason being like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do at tight end? Um, now that can be pushed down a little lower on the priority list. Um, so let's get back to the game now because that's uh, what we're here to do on the recap show. We'll talk about offseason moves moves in depth in a few weeks we'll have plenty of time to do that just a few more <laughs> weeks i'm already looking at draft prospects but for now um the colts just continue to find a way to lose like i stated earlier they've lost five of their last six games and in those five losses they've had the lead in four and were tied in the fifth so it's not like the colts just lined up and the better team beat them they've been in spots to win the game they've had good opportunities and just have not been able to finish after the game frank wright said quote we said in the locker room we've been in a little bit of a rut not making plays to finish games this is a few games in a row now that we've had a lead in the second half and not been able to sustain that we've got to get that corrected uh once again the colts a lead in the second half they went up 35 to 21 on a Zach Pascal touchdown reception with just under six minutes left in the third quarter. And we're not able to do anything else for the entirety of the game. The Colts final three drives, a three and out and the Naheem Hines fumble 
at the Tampa Bay 14-yard line. That was the first fumble loss by a Colts running back all season. Good, came, good timing for that, yeah. too. Right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Came at the worst possible moment. Uh, Chase McLaughlin's 47-yard missed field goal. And finally, the turnover on downs on the Colts' final drive of the game. I thought that drive was kind of curious. Um, so the Colts started that drive at their own 25-yard line with two timeouts and three minutes, 51 seconds to go. They really took their time within their first few plays there, showed little sense of urgency. They gained 25 yards on four plays and let the clock go down to the two-minute warning on fourth and two. I just kind of thought, you know what, I get it. You don't want to leave Tampa Bay time to retaliate and score because they were scoring at will oh, at that point Yeah, in the they were game. just moving up and down whatever they wanted. Yeah, to if Jameis Winston wasn't throwing an interception, they were scoring points. Right. Um, but at the same time, if you don't get the first down, don't you think you want to leave yourself with enough time to potentially stop the Buccaneers and get the ball back? Because, you know, say they went four and out, went forward on fourth down, and there were a little more than two minutes left with the two minute warning and the two timeouts, they still could have stopped the clock and gotten the ball back for one last try at it. I just thought that was a real interesting use of clock management yeah and i i I agree i thought they kind of lollygagged a little bit on that and i and i believe the reason was i think they thought they were going to go down to the other you know other end of the field and get a field goal or score a touchdown or something like that to to win the game but you got to do that first i mean it doesn't matter if you don't pick up the first down all all that you know you can't you, you can't start to think too much about the clock until you're actually in an area where you can afford to do that and they they weren't they weren't in that area code yet. Yeah, I mean if you you know get into field goal range, okay, then maybe milk the clock a little bit, take a little bit more time, force Tampa Bay to use their timeouts, but I, I just thought that was interesting and really all season and may, this probably goes back to since Frank Wright took over, but the Colts when it comes to clock management and like that two-minute drill situation or only a couple minutes left, they seem very comfortable letting the clock go down to about like one minute, under one minute left in the game, and then all of a sudden trying to hurry up and do things, which just seems interesting to me. You think they can kind of have a little more sense of urgency throughout their two-minute drill and then do what they need to with the time left at the end. But, you know, that's why I'm not an NFL head coach. Well, yeah, I... I- when you lose five of your last six games, some coaching calls start to get criticized. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, when you when you've when you started out five and two, but now you're a six and seven football team, looking way, way, way outside on the NFL playoff picture. You know, everything's going to start to get scrutinized. Uh, you know, personnel and and play and play calling and the clock management's right up there too, uh, because again, uh, we knew the Colts' margin for error was very, very small this season. And, you know, they got off to that, that really nice start, and then things just kind of they went sideways on them. Nothing has really gone right for this football team in the last six weeks, aside from the Jacksonville game. Yeah, I, I talked about it kind of in the um, preview show, but the Buccaneers are kind of the complete inverse of the Indianapolis Colts, where they're a team who can turn the ball over four times but still have enough offensive firepower to come back and win the game, even with the defense that... Honestly, their defense played better than the scoreboard looks because 17 of the Colts' 35 points was off of turnovers. Good field position, you know, didn't have to go up and down the field, which they struggled with doing anyway. Leonard had the one touchdown Mm -hmm. himself on the interception. So 
But it, it just seemed like, you know, like you said, that margin of error is just not there for the Colts because they don't have enough firepower to overcome their own mistakes. So if they don't play a near-perfect game, they're probably not going to win, and that's not what happens Sunday. Um, during the Colts' three-game losing streak that they're currently on, Houston, Tennessee, and the Buccaneers, the Colts have been outscored in the fourth quarter 31 to nothing. That is pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> Reggie Miller, you know that's winning time, uh, yeah. as as Reggie Miller would call it. But, you know, once you get the, the that fourth quarter, thirty one to nothing is just that is god awful, awful. I mean, awful. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse with this, but they just cannot <laughs> finish, and that is the number one thing you're supposed to be able to do. I mean, we we've seen teams have we've seen this team have slow starts in the past, and be able to finish and they say oh we got to get started faster well now almost it seems like they're the opposite they're getting started pretty good they're building these leads and then they just can't sustain them because in the fourth quarter they do nothing and and it does just kind of feel like they're finding new ways to lose games because usually it's uh, kind of the lack of the firepower on offense that kind of gets them when you get late in the game they can't make a big play and stuff um, and it kind of, you know, to the last drive does a play to that. But the reason they're in that situation, I mean, th- this offense got 35. Well, the offense didn't, but the team got 35 points this week. Seven of them came from, you know, the the, the pick six from Darius Leonard. That should be enough, as well as this defense has played through most of the year, to win the game for you. Yet they gave up 38 points. And they blew a 14-point lead with just a few minutes left in the third quarter. I mean, I thought things were looking good when they got that. I mean, Jacoby Brissett dropped that dime to Zach Pascal on That's that hell of a throw. On that throw, and then they got a nice little two-point conversion, so they're up by two touchdowns. And you're thinking, you know what? Maybe if they can get a stop here. <laughs> now it seems comical, but if they can get a stop here, you know, maybe get down, get another field goal, get some more points on the board, they're going to be in good shape. Not what happened. No, not at all. And before we move and fully turn our attention to the defense, something else I wanted to bring up was where was the running game in this one? Like, I I know that Tampa Bay has one of the better run defenses in the league, but I would have thought Frank Wright would have at least stuck with it. 36 pass attempts to 18 running back rush attempts. I took off Jacoby Brissett's four. Because, you know, I think the one was kind of a design yeah, run mo- by Yeah, most him. of them were kind of impromptu type of things. Most you of know, them improvise. were scrambled. Yep. Um, Marlon Mack, 38 yards on 13 runs and one touchdown in his return. He actually was secondary in the running back rotation. Naheem Hines led all running backs with 56% of the snaps. Mack had 41%. Wilkins with 14%. Jonathan Williams, nowhere to be seen. Now with zero <laughs> snaps after 200-yard games, I would have thought he at least earned a role in the rotation. If they're going to go with this heavy of a rotation, you think he would have been involved somehow, but whatever he did to you know, not see the field in the second half of the last game, I mean, col- coaches are still remembering that because he is in the doghouse. Um, but Wilkinson and Hines combined for two yards on five carries on the ground. And this is... Not a knock on Marlon Mack at all. I mean this in a good way, but I've been thinking about this recently, and it feels like Marlon Mack for Andrew Luck was an excellent running back. He he, he and he he is still a good running back. But if you want to be a top five rushing attack, Marlon Mack for Jacoby Brissett is not quite enough. 
I feel like they either need to get a complimentary running back in there, and it doesn't have to be a superstar like Ezekiel Elliott, but maybe if you paired Marlon Mack with a Mark Ingram type player. You feel like they need a grinder. They need for that. a little more. If they want to run the ball 30 t- times a game and play defense, they need to get Marlon Mack a partner in there because he's not Zeke Elliott. I mean, and you see how long these guys last, too. Todd Gurley's breaking mm-hmm. down, but he's not that kind of elite running back where you can just completely hand the offense to, let the defense play well, and that'll do it for you. Um, I, I, I just think they if they want to be this run-first, play-defense team, they need a little more out of the rushing game, and they're not getting that because normally 250 yards, two touchdowns, no inter- interceptions out of Jacoby Brissett. Would have been awesome. Good stat line, yeah. Yeah, but in a game where you get, what, 38 yards out of your leading rusher, 40-something total out of your running backs, 250 yards and two touchdowns all of a sudden is not enough in the passing game. Right, because that's not what the that's not what the team concept's supposed to be for the Colts. And it is weird, you know, uh, they're like, oh, well, the running attack, they had a couple of good games with Jonathan Williams in there. Uh, Mac gets hurt. You got him back this week, so you think that they're going to feature him a little bit more in the running game, and they they didn't. Um, if you look at the snap percentages there, 50 per, 56% of snaps for Naheem Hines tells you that the Colts were really heavily favoring their passing game because that's the kind of downs that they have Naheem Hines in there. He's in there for blitz pickups and to try to do stuff out of the backfield in the pass game. And to that point, maybe part of the pass-heavy attack was – you know, the Colts felt like Marlon Mack, maybe him in his first game back from the broken hand, wasn't quite at a place where they felt comfortable with him catching the ball, where they felt comfortable with him in pass protection. So they went with Naheem Hines more, and therefore were kind of showing their hand a little bit, whether they had Hines or Mack in, whether they were going to run the ball or pass. So that might have had something to do with it as well as far as the running back usage. Because you're, you're casual football fan... Uh, maybe not your super super casual, but most most Colts fans know that Naheem Hines is the guy that they want to get to. They want to give him the ball out of the backfield. They want him to you know get it one on one with a linebacker, something along those lines. Get something in the passing game. So maybe it's maybe you know, and if if fans recognize that, then you know that defensive coordinators recognize that. So maybe that helps them key on things a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah, that that'll be an interesting one. Um, moving on to the defense. When they weren't forcing takeaways, and let's be honest, some of those takeaways were not forced. Some of those were just Jameis Winston being Jameis Winston. But when they weren't, you know, making big plays in the passing game, they were just getting gashed. Jameis Winston had a career-high 456 passing yards on them. Tampa Bay had 542 total yards on the Indianapolis Colts. Those were both fourth-highest totals allowed by the Colts in the Indy era. So for weeks we've been like, oh, defense did their job. Defensive, you know, did their job. Not today. Not in this game. And it was really one-sided because Tampa Bay couldn't get their running game going either. They've never had much of one all season. This was all Winston just rearing back and letting it rip. And this came without their, you know, 
Pro Bowl wide receiver Mike Evans, he pulled his hamstring in the first quarter. After and was burning gone. the defense for a 61-yard touchdown he pass. Did, yeah, he did burn <laughs> Pierre Desir in a 61-yard touchdown pass and then was out. So this game could have been even worse if yeah, Mike Evans was in the game. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's one of the better wide receivers in the NFL. Um, some more stats on how historically bad this loss was, if you care to hear them. According to Pro Football Reference, teams had won 38 straight games when scoring at least 35 points with a plus three turnover differential. This was the first Colts loss in that situation since 1991. So teams that score 35 points and have a plus three turnover differential usually win the game. But that is not what the Colts did Sunday. It's just really kind of baffling. I mean, like you said, 35 to 21, I felt like the Colts had that game. Yes. And it just kind of all washed away. Uh, This also tied a dubious Indianapolis area record for most points in a loss. The last time they piled up 35 points in loss was the 2016 opener against Detroit. That game, the Colts lost 39 to 35. Um, I mean, Jameis Winston, 33 of 45 you know, I listed 450 plus yards, four touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, and this was in a game that Jameis Winston missed the first possession of the second half, dealing with the injury to his right hand. Turns out that injury is a fractured thumb. Oh, gosh. On his throwing hand. On his throwing hand. Oh, and he still tore up the Colts defense like it was made of paper. It was just ridiculous. As again, the Colts just can't seem to get all phases of their game together at once. And and it's got to be, it's frustrating for fans. I know it's got to be even more frustrating for the players and coaches. I just remember a few weeks ago when Frank Reich said that this defense was legit. That has kind of been the kiss of death because this unit has not played particularly well. Now, I will say uh, having Kenny Moore out does change things a lot defensively for the Colts, but as we've talked about and as the team will tell you, you can't blame a performance like that on one guy and an injury. Um, it just feel, felt like guys were, you know, if they were in zone, they were just getting switched cheese holes in the zone, and when they were getting one-on-one, they were getting beat. Yeah, and, and part of that issue was really, especially in the second half, a lack of pressure on Jameis Winston. They kind of got to him early yeah, on they a did, few they, I know that they didn't end up, they only ended up with the one sack, right, from Justin Houston. Justin Houston got but, his ninth sack of the season. But they did get some pressure on him and some hits and some, you know, tip balls and stuff like that in they the first the half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and then second half, where where was that? You yeah. know, that, that, you, that you did not see any kind of push or pressure. Although, I, I guess there were maybe a time or two where, you know, Winston's Big dude, hard to take down. Kind of did kind of those make it make it extend the play type of deals, but uh, for the most part, didn't seem like he was under a whole lot of pressure in the second half. Wasn't under a whole lot of pressure when he was under pressure. He did a good job of eluding mm-hmm. and escaping the Colts defenders. I remember there were, you know, a few times in big instances like third downs where he would just shrug a defender, make a guy miss, and be able to pick up the first down. It's just hard to cover guys that. Long. I mean, I could keep harping on this game all day. I'd rather not. <laughs> let's uh, let's focus on some good. And there was some good in this Colts game. We mentioned Darius Leonard, and he was an absolute animal again. Nine tackles, one and a half tackles for a loss, two interceptions, and one of them he returned 80 yards for a touchdown. You can't do much more than that from a linebacker's standpoint. 
Um, I, I have a feeling who the defensive player of the game's going to be in this one. Um, another very good, you know, a lot of these high tackle numbers because the Colts were on defense a lot. So and guys are running free in the secondary, and it's up to the safety to clean it up. Yeah, exactly. But Malik Cooker had 10 tackles and an interception as well. He's really improved in the tackling aspect of the safety position. I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, moving on, I thought Kari Willis played another excellent game. The rookie had 11 tackles. Uh, I saw a que- I forget who asked it. I saw a question on Twitter the other day, who's been the most impressive Colts rookie? For me, it's clearly Kari Wills. Oh, for sure, and and it seems like the team has confidence in him to just kind of stick him in here, in there, and and let him go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Willis Okariki's played well in limited, you know, opportunities. Rocky Sin has been better than people, the casual fan will give him credit for. Um, yeah, it's just that that one game where we picked up all the flags is still firmly stuck in a lot of people's minds. But you know, he he's made some really nice plays over the last few weeks. He's made some last plays. He hasn't made... Uh, he did recover the fumble in this mm-hmm. game. Yeah. He hasn't made the splash plays that stick out in people's mind. But when you go game after game and people go, hmm, I haven't heard a lot of Rocky Sin's name, that's typically a good thing right. for yes. a cornerback. And there aren't a lot of teams in the league that feel comfortable playing a rookie cornerback as much as Rocky Sin has played this season. I think it'll pay big dividends down the road, I think, the next few seasons for them. Absolutely. I think the Colts have a starting quarterback, or at least... All signs point towards the Colts having a starting cornerback moving forward um, in Rocky Sin. Other guys that had good games, let's move to the offensive side of the ball. Marcus Johnson had his first career 100-yard game. So any, anybody want to cover Marcus Johnson? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Three catches, but he made the most of them, 105 yards and a touchdown, longest of which was a 50-yarder. Um, he had seven targets on the day. Really win Brissett turned deep, and he turned deep quite often this game. Mm-hmm. The past couple games, I mean, someone got in his ear because he has been pushing the ball down the field a lot more. And this week, at least, they were able to complete some of them, whereas last week it was just like, oh, we're just going to throw it and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But uh, uh, Marcus Johnson had a good game. Zach Pascal had a good game as well. Five catches for 74 yards and one touchdown. Uh, big money man Jack Doyle. Did not do as much as I thought he would. Um, kind of quiet in this game. He had, let's see, six targets, only caught two of them, 27 yards. There were several opportunities where Brissett was just off the mark when targeting Doyle, yeah. whether it was behind him, a little too high. That third and two play is the one that sticks out in my head is is that Doyle got his hands on it, but it was it was behind behind him, and it would have been one heck of a catch if he'd gotten that yeah, one because it was a rocket yeah, too. Yeah, it had a lot of had a lot of mustard on it. Yeah, and I, I think of a couple times, you know, in the red zone around the end zone where he had Doyle and just kind of overshot him. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Colts do with Brissett in the off season because. Nothing's obvious with him. He hasn't played well enough to be like, oh, he's our man going right. forward. He hasn't played poorly enough, and especially given the circumstances mm-hmm. with what he's working with on offense, I'm not sure it'd be fair to completely judge him and say he ain't it. He he, he doesn't have what it takes to be the franchise guy. So he, he does so many good things, but then there's just times where he just kind of disappears. He, he, he leaves you wanting a little bit more, and, and I think there's no greater – Example of that than that final drive, plenty of time. 
and they, they just can't get it done. I, you, you know, time after time, Colts fans are used to seeing Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, those kind of guys with four minutes to go in the ball game down three. Colts fans go, okay, we're at least going to get a tie here. Right. And you expect it, whereas with with uh, Brissett in there right now, the way that the offense has been toward the end of the game, you're just kind of like, well, I guess if they get in, it's kind of a bonus. Yeah. You know, if they get a field goal and tie it up, and, yeah, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll figure out a way to win this game, but I don't have a lot of faith in that. That's kind of how I think a lot of people feel right now. Yeah, and, and we didn't feel that way at the beginning of the season when the Colts had a running game that could close things out. Brissett would make a big play when he needed to, but that is that is just kind of gone to the wayside the last in this losing streak. Yeah, I remember after the Broncos game, everyone was singing Brissett's praises. Oh, he made the big play, the clutch moment. That's mm-hmm. a huge, huge step for him. It shows he can be that guy, and not not so much the past six weeks for the that, most part that has turned into the season highlight i mean that yeah it was it was one of those things where like this is either where they they write the legend of jacoby Brissett starts here and this is a thing everybody remembers or this is just like the greatest play that he makes of the season and right now that's looking like the greatest play that he's made of the season yeah no kidding um let's take a look at that playoff picture before we end things here do we have to <laughs> we might as well um at the top you have baltimore they're going to be hard to stop uh, New England Patriots, number two. They've now lost two games in a row, not something you see Mm-mm. very often out of the Patriots. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs at 9-4. and four. Texans, 8-5 and five after a surprise loss to the Broncos. It, it wasn't just the way that—it wasn't just that they lost. Okay, you might lose a football game, have a freak play or something like that, but they were down by like three touchdowns—or like four touchdowns, five touchdowns in that game at one point. Yeah, they lost 38-24, but it was not even that close. Uh, Deshaun Watson had some garbage time rushing touchdowns that really made the score look better and made fantasy owners feel a little better. But, um, yeah, the Texans are a hard one to figure out. Buffalo Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers sit in the final two wild card spots. Bills are nine and four. The Steelers are eight and five. In the hunt, you have the Tennessee Titans, who are now eight and five after a win against the Raiders. The Browns, who are six and seven. The Raiders, who are six and seven, and the Indianapolis Colts. Now, can the Colts still make the playoffs? The answer is yes. And Indy Fox or Indy Fox Sports Radios. Derek Schultz did the math, and I saw this on Twitter, so I thought I'd give him credit for it and kind of list out what the Colts have to do to still make the playoffs. They have to, one, beat the Saints this upcoming week. That's going to be a very tough one to go to New Orleans and beat the Saints, who narrowly lost to the 49ers in what might have been the game of the year in the NFL. Um, Then they have to beat the Panthers at home. I think that's very doable. So is beating the Jaguars, who just look pathetic they got squashed 45 to 10 um, by a Chargers team who's not been very impressive this season either um, so after the Colts go 3-0 and to finish the season they need the Texans and the Titans to split their two upcoming matchups okay uh, they need the Texans to lose to the Buccaneers it's mm-hmm. in Tampa Bay that could happen and they need the Titans to lose to the Saints which could happen as well so <laughs> Amazingly, if the Colts win their last three games, they still have a they still have a decent chance, right? I, I mean, you look at the okay. The the big if is can the Colts win out, which is the the big if. But especially the, beating the Saints, especially beating the Saints, who are going to be a, a little ticked off, um, and it's in New Orleans. 
the the other things in that equation are not unheard of. Um, the Texans and Titans splitting. I could definitely see that happening. Uh, Titans losing to the Saints again. That's a really good Saints team. Uh, what week is that? Is that is that end of the season? Do you know? That would be the second. So week sixteen. Okay. So so it's um, my point is the Saints will still have something to play for. Yeah. Uh, when when they have that game, that game will be in Tennessee. And then the Texans losing to the Buccaneers at Tampa Bay. I mean, it's kind of a, a good Jameis, bad Jameis sort of situation. You don't know exactly what you're going to get from the Buccaneers on a week-to-week basis. Um, so the biggest question mark on that is, can the Colts win out? And I think they can beat the Jaguars, and I think they can beat the Panthers. If they can, you know, sort of surprise everybody, get back to that form when they beat, it seemed like such a, an age ago, uh, when they beat the Chiefs and the Texans in back-to-back weeks. If they kind of regain that form, uh, you know, I guess the thing is, at least it's not impossible. It's not. It's not impossible. Um, the Colts just have to win out, which I feel like we've been saying for several mm-hmm. weeks well, now. Well, I mean, it, this is sort true. of like the, the, it's like the lifeline. You know, it, it's just kind of like we keep saying, well, they're still kind of there if they can just do this. And I think we're falling into the trap again of, oh, well, they're still alive if they can just do this when we have seen no discernible evidence that they are capable of doing these things. What's probably going to happen just to piss Colts fans off is the Colts are going to lose to the Saints and their playoff odds will be done at that point. Then they're going to beat the Panthers and beat the Jaguars to finish 8-8 eight and eight and lose some... Uh, some spots in the draft there just to, just to really dig it into Colts. Well, and, and watch them do that and have all of these other scenarios go where the Texans and the Titans split, the Texans lose to the Bucks, and the Titans lose to the Saints. Watch that exact scenario play out, and the only thing that the Colts didn't do was, was beat, the, beat Saints. the Saints. Yep, I, I, I could see that happening 100%. That would be maddening. A <laughs> couple other um, notes from around the AFC South is Titans talking contract extensions with Ryan Tannehill and why not? They have been amazing. They've been amazing. Much better team since he's been under there. Absolutely. And then Doug Marone, the coach of the Jaguars, looks like a dead man walking. That team doesn't even look like they're trying anymore. Um, We're probably going to see a new regime in Jacksonville in 2020. Again. (laughs) Yeah. The Jaguars are still the Jaguars, and if you're a sad Colts fans, remember you could always be a Jacksonville Jaguar fan. So, you know, it does get worse. It does get worse than this. That'll wrap things up today on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at RotoStreetJoe. You can follow Matt on Twitter at StatoMatty. Follow the Colts Blue Zone on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone and make sure to listen to us Thursday when I'm joined by Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. We will preview that all-important Colts versus Saints game. I believe that's a Monday nighter, mm-hmm. if yeah, I'm not certainly mistaken. certainly is. Yep. Prime time, big opportunity for the Colts to keep their season alive. We'll see if they can do it. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.